Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Welcome to your Thursday edition of the pod. And today we're going a little different here. We're going to talk some recruiting. We're going to talk some Oregon UW. And we're going to bring on Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports, to talk about this because he's got the unique perspective of all of those topics rolled into one. Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Hey, good to be here, Matt. Thanks for having me on. So let's, before we dive into the game, let's talk some recruiting mm-hmm. um, and maybe some big picture stuff here for a little bit. But the Ducks, two years in a row now, have landed the state of Washington's top prospect. Last year it was Connerly. This year it's Caleb Presley. You do have to note that this year Presley originally wasn't the top guy. Uh, there was a transfer out of the state of Oregon, uh, out of the state of Washington. So that you have to make that context there. But nonetheless, Dan Lanning and his staff have done something that Mario hasn't done, Chip hasn't done, Taggart, of not only signing the state of Washington, but doing it now two years in a row. Just what's the the vibe or the impression that Oregon has up there to allow that to happen? Well, I think, you know, you got to go back a, a year or two even. And that's where Dan Lanning was recruiting a lot of these guys at the University of Georgia. You know, a year ago, there was a big group of players from the Northwest and especially from the state of Washington that went on an SEC visit, took them down to Alabama, to Auburn, and to Georgia. And on that visit at Georgia, I think seven of them were offered by the Bulldogs. And the lead recruiter at that time for a lot of those guys was Dan Lanning. Ironically, none of those players were linebackers. They were running backs, offensive linemen, defensive backs. But they had their relationship with Lanning already pre-built before he even got to Eugene. So now you fast forward a year, he's in Eugene, he's the head coach, Oregon is still a hot school, and the relationship already exists. And that's where, you know, landing in, in Oregon to an extent too, really, I mean, I don't think a year ago, Oregon thought Mario Cristobal is going to leave, or that Dan Lanning would be the head coach. But in a fortuitous kind of work, way of working out, it just so happened that he was the primary recruiting those guys. Then you take in a guy like Demetrius Martin. You know, you, you look at Caleb Presley. Demetrius Martin was was recruiting him when he was at Colorado. So there was some kind of long – and then Tosh LePoy, the defensive coordinator, has ties to the Pacific Northwest, uh, having been a, a former assistant at the University of Washington, having lived in Seattle. His wife's from Seattle. His brother-in-law uh, played at University of Washington. So he's got ties to the Pacific Northwest himself, even though he's a Bay Area guy. So a lot of those pre-existing relationships carried over to Oregon – and now the relationship, the relationship is still there, but now is at a school that's a little bit more proximate to home. That has worked out into Oregon's favor, at least in the 23 class. In the 22 class, when they got a player like Josh Connolly, that was 100% Adrian Clem. And I've shared that on this podcast before. On New Year's Eve, I talked to Josh the day before I went down to San Antonio for the All-American Bowl. He had named a top five and Oregon wasn't even in it. We were going to release the story. He was going to announce it on New Year's Day and then chose to push it back a day so he could announce it when he got to San Antonio. And it became a top six. And ultimately, Oregon climbed from six to one. That was Clem. All Clem, really, uh, on that one to get them back in it and then allowing Lanning to be a part of it. But you really saw the 23s and the 24s that Oregon is in on with Washington going back to that relationship that was started in the summer of 2021. Let's touch on Caleb Presley here for a second. Top three player in Oregon's class, uh, just outside the top 10 for his position group nationally. He's kind of in that fringe where maybe he could push his way into the top 100 maybe. 
just what's been your impressions of him so far through his senior season? Yeah, and in fact, I'm going to go, get to go. He will not be in Otson on Saturday because he will be playing his own game in Seattle at Memorial Stadium. I saw them in week three when they played at Lumen Field, which is the home of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, big NFL stadium, and, and Rainier Beach came up short against O'Day High School, uh, which is their you know longtime in-city rival. Uh, Garfield's their, their main rival, but O'Day is the private school, and Beach and O'Day have had some legendary clashes. And in that one, O'Day got the upper hand. Uh, but, you know, since then, their only two losses come to the number two and the number three state uh, teams in the state in O'Day and Eastside Catholic. And Caleb Prisley is the big reason why Beach is, you know, a, kind of a trendy pick to be an upstart in the 3A playoffs, which start this weekend. So he'll have his, his own game on Saturday. Uh, but he's been solid this year. He's done nothing to, to move out of that top spot. He's only emboldened his standing as the number one prospect in the state of Washington in 2023. And a guy that I think, you know, if he has a really good week in San Antonio at the all American bowl, uh, which he's been selected to play in, then I think, like you said, he moves into that conversation to be a top 100 guy, but potentially a top 10 player at his position nationally and, and holds on to that number one spot at the top of the Washington state rankings. Someone that, could potentially be here. Uh, hasn't been the fully decided yet. It's Jaden Lamar, another four-star. He's committed to Notre Dame. He's been to Eugene once already this year. Um, what's just the latest with Jaden Lamar and, and his commitment to Notre Dame and interest in Oregon? Yeah, I think the Notre Dame commitment right now, you, you would have to say it is not solid as Oak. Um, he hasn't decommitted. And then the Irish offered his brother, Jay Sean Lamar, 2025 prospect, at Lake Stevens, uh, on the heels of them taking a third running back in this class. It was right after Jeremiah Love committed to Notre Dame uh, in mid-October. And all of a sudden, you know, Jaden Lamar sees that that's a third back in this class. Not that he's scared of, of competition, but, you know, there's only so many carries that go around. <laughs> so a week after Jeremiah Love committed to Notre Dame, Jaden Lamar was in Autzen Stadium for the Oregon-UCLA game. Uh, he plays the game on Friday night in the playoffs. He may be in uh, Autzen on Saturday. Uh, I know he does have a playoff game. In fact, I'll be at that game on Friday night when they played North Creek. Uh, but he's a player that I think Oregon has a very, very realistic chance of, of flipping and Notre Dame is trying like heck to hold on. Like I said, offered his brother, you know, to try to make it a, a package deal. But right now, Oregon is making a very compelling case. If he were to decommit from the Irish, I would certainly say that Oregon is in the best position to land him. Sticking in the state of Washington, this will be our last Washington recruiting center question. Uh, underclassmen, UW seems uh, the state of Washington seems to be just every year kind of putting out a good chunk of high-level Pac-12, Power 5-level guys. Uh 2024 has a bunch of them. Just what are your, your perspective of that group and, and just any names that stand out? I know Fox Crater is one, you know, a three-star offensive lineman. Mm -hmm. from, I think Vancouver area. Just are there any other names that stand out to you right now for, from an Oregon perspective? Absolutely. In fact, one of them will be in Austin on Saturday, and that's Asendri Afua, also known as Papa. He's the number one interior offensive lineman in the country now. You know, Oregon is going to get him on campus for a, a pretty heated battle. Uh, but he's coming off a trip down to Athens where he was this past weekend. When I mentioned that Alabama, Auburn, Georgia swing last year uh, that a number of players took down with FSP, Papa was one of them and was offered by Georgia on that visit. So he went down there this weekend, was there for the or for the Georgia-Tennessee game. Now he'll be in Austin. So while there might be you know 40,000 less fans, 
you know, the atmosphere will give him give them a chance to, to kind of fight their way into it. Right now, I would say that, you know, he doesn't have an official top three schools, but I would say unofficially he's got kind of four schools that are that are standing out to him. And that's Alabama and Georgia and then Oregon and USC. Alabama and Georgia obviously had been on him. They're among his first two offers came from them. USC's got his his close friend, uh, Micah Banuelos, committed. And then Oregon, Adrian Clement has been running point on him for quite some time. Uh, so he will be at Austin this Saturday. Uh, and there's a couple other players in the state that Oregon was among the first to offer. Braden Platt, who's a top 100 player out of Yelm. In, in my opinion, he's the front runner for the state player of the year in 2022. Uh, you've got wow. Rashawn Clark out of Federal Way, who has an Oregon offer. Kai McDonald out of O'Day who's overshadowed at times by Afua and then Jason Brown, who's the number one uh, running back and the number one player in the state. Uh, Jason Brown will not be there on Saturday, but Oregon's also on the short list for him too. So there's quite a few players, and Oregon was smart to offer a lot of those guys early on and get in the mix for them. And you mentioned Fox Crater. You know, he's kind of in that no man's land of Vancouver. Are you, uh, you know, do you root for the in-state school, even though you're, you know, just as close to Eugene as you are to Seattle? Uh, right now, you know, it's interesting. There's two linemen that are probably about 10 miles from each other. Um, I don't know the exact geography. I'm sure somebody will correct you. But Devin Brooks <laughs> is a Clackamist and Fox Crater yeah. is in Oregon. Or, I'm sorry, Fox Crater is in Vancouver. And both those guys have Oregon and Washington kind of on their short list. Uh, and both are kind of in, you know, areas where it's about halfway equidistance to both. Right. So, you know, I know Crater will be there on Saturday, and I'm pretty sure Devin Brooks will as well. Uh, but a, a pretty strong 2024 NorCal, our Northwest class. Let's go back to 2023. Um, Oregon's recruiting class. There's Since we've had you on, they've added a couple interior offensive linemen, all from, from Southern California. Um, I – you were at the Oregon UCLA game, and I wanted to get your opinion of uh, Tatum Tuioti because I went and watched him early in the season, not to watch him professionally, just to watch that team, and was just kind of blown away by his impress, you know, his impressive play. And then there's a lot of smoke right now about Dante Moore, and as there probably should be, you know, long distance away from from Eugene and high profile kid, you know, local schools circling a little bit. Just what do you what are you paying attention to for this recruiting class right now? Yeah, I mean, obviously Dante Moore is going to be a story. It's going to be a story up until he puts his his signature on an NLI. You know, can Michigan State, which, you know, the, the irony in all of this is, Matt, that Michigan State's office this year has been horrid. And, yeah. you know, they lose Kenneth Walker, who's shown, you know, what a player he was last year in the NFL. And their offense has been in reverse. I covered the Washington State or the Washington-Michigan State game. And the Michigan State offense just looked terrible. Meanwhile, the, the offense at, at Oregon – I was about to say Auburn because of Bonex. The offense at Oregon is chugging along just fine. Yeah. So is it a matter of, hey, there's talk that Kenny Dillingham is a candidate for the Arizona State job. And maybe Dante Moore wants to play for Kenny Dillingham but doesn't want to go to Tempe. Is it that Michigan State saying, hey, we've got the guys on defense. We've got the guys at other positions, but we need a quarterback. There could be a lot of things. But I always feel like every year there's one or two recruits that's a high-profile recruit. And as it gets down to it, they start to get a little bit of cold feet. You don't often see it with quarterbacks. Uh, you know, it's usually other positions because quarterbacks commit so early. But in the last couple cycles, last year you had Devin Brown, who was a longtime USC commit, flip to Ohio State. Two years before that, you had Bryce Young, who was a longtime commit to USC, flip to Alabama. So the one thing with quarterbacks is finding the right fit, finding the right depth chart, finding the right opportunities. And sometimes if an OC either leaves or is a candidate for another job that may not be as appealing at a school that 
you committed to or you know that that you want to go to then other schools start to get involved so i you know there was a crystal ball flip that went in uh, that was put in by the Michigan State side. It's certainly one to watch, and I don't think Oregon is shying away from continuing to recruit him. Uh, and I also don't think that they're comfortable thinking, "Oh, he's ours," because, like you mentioned, it's the hometown thing. It's the dis- It's the distance. It's you know the one thing that the home state always has in their back pocket is they are the home state school, and yeah. distance is sometimes an issue, but. You know, right now, I don't think Oregon's sitting idly by. They're probably monitoring other quarterbacks that may be committed to schools that have tenuous situations in their coaching staff, but also continuing to hammer home. Hey, Dante, look what we're doing with Bo Nix. You could be that next guy. Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a surprise that a school is going after him late. You know, the Oregon fans should have expected that. It's it's more so of who the school is, being Michigan State. It's maybe the surprise. But nonetheless, it's something to monitor. What, what are your thoughts on on, on – Tuioti. Very I like I, I I went to watch a person that plays for Sheldon. I had no intention of focusing a ton on him. It was like a family trip to to the game. And I, I just couldn't stop watching him destroy dudes. I, I was completely taken back how, how good he was. He is one of the rare players in you know 20 years of doing this job and you know, especially the last decade, where I get out and put on you know thousands of miles on the car and on airplanes to see guys, he's actually one of the first guys that I can remember in recent years that we went with a four-star on without seeing in person. Every other four-star in the region over the last six, seven years, I've seen in person in some point. Now, it's not for lack of trying. Tatum was in Nebraska uh, up until the spring after his dad got hired at the University of Oregon. And so he was Alan True's kind of domain at that point. Then he made the move out here, but didn't do a lot of off-season football because he's a volleyball player. And it was actually watching some of that volleyball footage uh, of him where you start to see the explosiveness. You start to see the, the explosion, the athleticism. And, you know, interestingly enough, before, you know, I, I saw you at the Oregon-UCLA game, two days before I was at Westland High School. And, you know, talking to a couple of those players. And, uh, you know, one of the questions that Sam Levitt, the quarterback committed to Washington State out of Westland, I was asking, oh, what other schools are you going to? I told him, he's like, oh, you're going to go watch Sheldon? I said, no, actually, uh, because I'm driving down there on Saturday, I'm not going to get to see them on Friday. I wanted to go watch a game in Vancouver, and then I wanted to go watch Levitt play the next night. He said, man, Tuoti, monster. Like, when in this day and age of social media beef where kids can't ever take a loss – for him to just basically say, like, dude, that dude was a, was a stud. And then his teammate, Mark Camper, uh, at West, it was like, yeah, you know, best player we played against. A lot of respect from opponents. And, and that tells you the caliber of player he is. Because high school kids are not the most encouraging for opponents. They are their teammates. These are the guys that say, oh, coaches, you're sleeping on my teammates. Like, no, you yeah. just can't evaluate your teammate very well. But when they're giving respect to an opponent, and, you know, with the game that he had against West Lynn, you can understand – it showed you, but you watch the film, you, you see the volleyball clips, you see the size, you see the fact that he's a football guy. You know, he's been around the game. His dad, he's probably been learning technique stuff for a long time that the average high school defensive lineman hasn't. You see that quickness, that suddenness. And, you know, talking to a lot of the coaches in the state of Oregon that I know that have watched him play, it, it's been rare. I can't remember the last you're probably going to, back to, to got to go back to Taladoa Hufunga to find the last guy who was so universally praised by other coaches in the state of Oregon. He's only been there for, you know, seven, eight months. Yeah. He's a guy that not only is he holding on to that number one spot with the bullet, I anticipate he'll end up in the top two, four, seven when it's all said and done. We'll get a chance to see him at the Polynesian Bowl in January. Uh, but before that, I know that they've got their their high, their eyes set on winning the state title. 
Yeah, I was just going to ask that. He he plays in the Polynesian Bowl in January. Just kind of what's the, the the escalator ceiling for him from a ranking perspective? I, I think, you know, he stays as the number one player in the state, obviously. Uh, but he ends up being, you know, a, a top 247 guy. I just, again, because he's one of those rare guys I've never seen in person, not saying that I'm going to show up, he's going to be 5'11 and 205 right. pounds, but you want to see him on that big national stage. For so many of these guys, you get a chance to see them on the national stage, at camps, at events. You get to see the competitiveness. Nothing against the state of Oregon football, but there's it's a big good. chance playing state of Oregon <laughs> football to playing at an event that has elite players. He'll be going up against a Francis Maui Goa during practice. He'll be going up against elite players. And if he has that continued success like he's had this season – I anticipate, you know, he moves not only to the top two, four, seven, he could, you know, make a pretty significant jump in it. Very good stuff. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll dive into this game on Saturday between the Ducks and the Huskies. All right. Welcome back to the Outs and Audibles podcast. Matt Preen, Brandon Huffman talking Oregon, Washington, some recruiting talk there. Um, this this game at Austin this weekend is always a big game, always a massive game out west. People pay attention to UW Cubs in ranked in the top twenty five, Oregon's in the top ten. Just from your perspective, you know, you've seen a couple of these games. You've been to a couple previously the last few years at, at UW. Just what's changed? Because they won four games last year. They fired their head coach in the middle of the season, and yet now. I don't know if anyone's saying they're going to make Pac-12 championship game, but they could finish the year ranked inside the top 25 college football playoff. Well, that's a big turnaround. Yeah, that's hard. I think you named it. You know, interestingly, it was the Oregon game a year ago that kind of set the wheels in motion for Washington to be in a new position in 2022 uh, when you had the the ill-fated shove of a special teamer for Washington by then head coach Jimmy Lake, who was suspended and ultimately fired. Uh, off that game, you also had offense coordinator John Donovan, who was a disastrous hire from the get-go. Um, and you bring in an offensive mind like Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb, and you bring in a transfer quarterback who, when he's been healthy, has been successful in Michael Penix. So you bring the combination of an experienced quarterback with some talent, plus a coaching staff that actually knows how to call an offense, and you see the jump that Washington made. The most interesting aspect of this is when we seen or Washington these last few years, you know, it was the death row defense. You look at the players that have been drafted. It'd been defensive player after defensive player, whether it was Vita Bay, uh, you know, Buda Baker, uh, Elijah Molden, Trent McDuffie. They've had their success on the defensive side of the ball really stand out. And yet it's the defense that's the reason that they have two losses right now. They couldn't stop UCLA. They couldn't stop a walk-on quarterback in, in Trenton Berger uh, at Arizona State. So, you know, the, the Washington defense is not what it's been the last couple of years. Uh, but offensively, they at least have an identity on offense. They have weapons that they're using. And more importantly, they have an offense that distributes the ball to those weapons rather than an offense where your head coach one time wore a hat to a press conference saying, run the damn ball. Yeah, it's certainly been a turnaround. I think UW fans should be excited about. I think Oregon fans should be excited about because when these two teams are good, it just it makes the games better. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Panks has been a big Panks has been a big part of that that turnaround. He leads the conference in throwing at three fifty nine per game. Uh, from your perspective, you were at that Michigan State game early in the season. Just how much of this is 
a great system that Kellen DeBoer has, which his quarterbacks have always done good numbers. And how much of this is Michael Penix just being an elite arm talent that maybe NFL scouts are interested in, or is it both where it's like, it's a perfect combination of, of perfect system with a perfect player that fits that. I think it's a combination of both. You know, the Penix's problem has been staying healthy. This is the first yeah. year, you know, if you're a Washington fan watching or listening to this, you might want to knock on wood, but in the previous three seasons, he had a season-ending injury in each of those three seasons. So, you know, a lot of times your best ability is availability. And if you can't play, yeah. you can't put up numbers. So you take a guy who stayed healthy this year. They kept him upright for the most part. I think it wasn't until game four or game five this season where Penix was even sacked for the first time. Uh, so he's not putting himself in position to get hurt like he was at Indiana. Then you take a coach that he'd worked with before uh, when DeBoer was the offensive coordinator at Indiana before he took the Fresno State job. So that familiarity, this isn't a, you know, it's not unlike what's going on in Oregon with Kenny Dillingham and Bo Nix, where Dillingham was at Florida State. He had time with Bo Nix before. He knew his flaws. He knew his strengths. He knew what worked. He knew what didn't work. He also knew what the personnel was like at the previous school. And now he's got more latitude. And you're seeing the Bo Nix that was the number one ranked dual threat coming out of high school really perform to that level this year. That's where we have with DeBoer and Penix where there's that familiarity with each other. They know what works and what doesn't work. And they've had some talent on the offensive side of the ball, certainly at the skill position player uh, with Roma Dunze, with Jalen McMillan. It, it was a matter of a scheme that allowed for that offense to work. And under John Donovan, it didn't with the quarterbacks that were there. Enter DeBoer, enter Penix, and now you have Washington's offense, which is you know finally putting up some of the video game numbers that Husky fans were hoping that they would get to see. That just rolls right into my next question. Roma, Dunze, McMillan, Polk, I think they're special. And I think they're going to have an opportunity to put up some goofy, like you said, video game numbers. Because uh, Oregon's defense, they give up lots of third downs. They give up lots of passing yards. Um, just what's made these guys have this type of season? Is it the quarterback that maybe they just didn't have the last couple of years? Or are these guys, in your eyes, potential NFL prospects down the road? Yeah, I mean, you know, Jalen McMillan was a top 50 player nationally in All-American. Roma Dunze was a top 150 player nationally in Polynesian Ball All-American. Jalen Polk was a productive player down in Texas high school football. So they were already talented. And it was just a matter of being in a scheme that utilized their receivers. Again, you go back to the press conference where Jimmy Lake wears the run the damn ball hat. It was yeah. clear that as a defensive-minded coach, he wanted to win with the defense and by controlling the line of scrimmage and running the ball. You go look at Oregon now, you bring in a defensive coordinator, but he's a defensive coordinator, defensive-minded guy who said, dude, let's have the most dynamic offense that we could possibly have. Let's let our quarterback make a ton of plays. Let's get our ball, you know, or get our passes to offensive tackles that are lining at the tight ends. Let's give the ball to our linebacker. There's the creativity, and, you know, you're seeing Oregon's offense benefit from that, even though they have a defensive-minded head coach. At Washington, he didn't have that under Jimmy Lake. He didn't want to get cute. He didn't want to get creative. He wanted to just win with the defense. But the problem was the offense was running some variation of the prevent offense, and they weren't doing anything. They were not moving the ball. Now you get a coach who likes to chuck the rock. Now you get a coach who's got a quarterback in place that can distribute the ball to those guys. And that's where I think you've seen Odunze, McMillan, and Polk all have the big jump in their game from 2021 to 2022. You know, the funny thing is, Junior Adams leaves Washington. Washington's receivers improve. Junior Adams gets to Oregon. Oregon's receivers improve. So it doesn't seem to be it's individual coaching because Junior is a good coach. 
and it, you're seeing the Oregon receivers have that success this year. I think so much of it is just scheme based where now those receivers are in a position under this new offense under Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer to be utilized right and junior is now getting to kind of you know say you saw a, a bettering of washington's offense a year ago when junior adams took over the interim oc duties and you're seeing yeah. that coaching with the oregon receivers the jump that a guy like troy franklin has made you're, you're seeing that coaching does matter scheme does matter what's just your maybe biggest concern for oregon going into this game is it their matchup against the receivers I think so. I mean, I think the one thing that Oregon really did a good job against against UCLA was really, you know, making those receivers pretty ineffective until late in the game. You know, obviously UCLA wanted to run the ball with Charbonnet. You know, they were going to run the ball, and it was kind of key early on that UCLA ran the ball. Uh, but they also don't have the receivers that Washington had. So Oregon yeah. kind of was able to force UCLA to pass, kind of understand the run game. Well, now with Washington, they don't run the ball that well, but they throw the ball really well. And I think that is a concern if you're Washington or if you're Oregon, just because when the passing games are, are, are going, sometimes they can be tough covered. But I think the other thing is, is the look ahead with if you're Oregon. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys don't understand the Oregon-Washington rivalry. You know, Bo Nix, when he thinks rivalry, he played in the most heated, hateful rivalry in college football, you know, for the last three years. His dad was a quarterback at the same school. You know, Oregon and Washington, you don't, it doesn't roll off the tongue outside of the Northwest among rivalries. So for a lot of these guys, maybe the Oregon-Washington rivalry, it's been one-sided for the last years. Maybe it's not as extreme. There's not as much hatred uh, in it. Um, and then you've got the Utah game a week later. And obviously the two games against Utah last year are probably sitting in the craw uh, of, or, uh, of Oregon. So there might be the look ahead factor, you know, and that's something that always comes into play, but it's also their first game at home in three weeks. The last time they were at home was a big game, a national telecast game day was there and Oregon came out front in that game from the get go and was key. So I think there's going to have to be some stolen possessions there and, you know, forcing the defense, the, having the defense force Washington's offense to settle for field goals instead of, instead of touchdowns like they did against UCLA to allow for a bigger cushion. All right. Well, we'll get you out on this one. Um, this, this series, like I said earlier, it's always good when both teams are good. And from a big picture, long-term perspective, just what are your thoughts on UW's long-term availability of, of being a top 25 thereabouts type program? I feel like it's safe to say Oregon's there mm -hmm. um, pretty much every year right now. Um, what about UW? Are, are they trending that way? Yeah, I, I think they are. I think you've got a, a coach that, you know, there is an offensive identity. And yeah, I mean, we've heard for years the cliche, defense wins championships. You know what? Yeah, you have to have a defense to win a championship because it's a two-sided game, three-sided to count special teams. But we're in an offensive era, and you have yeah. to have the ability to score points. And, you know, if you're going to give up points, you got to score more than the other team. It's a pretty simple concept. I think Washington kind of has that offensive identity. Um, you know, when they were winning under Chris Peterson, as great of an offensive mind as he was, it was their defense that really was the difference in their success in those few years. So if you look at, at you know, what Washington was has done under Chris Peterson and then the two-year lull that they had with, with Jimmy Lake, you know, for them to bounce back like this shows that this is a program that has talent. You know, he didn't walk into a bare cupboard, but he had to bring in a couple other pieces to kind of get there. Same with Oregon. You know, Oregon 
has been what the, the Pac-12 North representative in the uh, Pac-12 championship game for three straight years. You know, yep. they won a couple or they, they won a Rose Bowl three years ago. They played in the Fiesta Bowl two years ago. Dan Landing didn't walk into an empty uh, cupboard. They both had some talent. So it was a matter of mixing that talent with the missing pieces and get them there. And I think that's why Washington was able to get back in the top 25 so quickly. Now it's a matter of can they continue to trend upwards? Brandon, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate the insight into UW, Oregon, also Oregon recruiting in the state of Washington beyond. We'll have you on probably closer to National Signing Day uh, down the road. Thanks for coming on. Anytime, Matt. Thank you.